In the short time I have with you, I will tell you this. As Don talks about this truth, I have really dedicated my adult life to answering three basic questions. One, how was racial oppression established in these United States and beyond? What are its origins and what are the foundations upon which it rests? Two, once established, how is racial oppression entrenched, modified, and spread? To be sure, it looks different over time. It takes on different guises, but its supremacist roots remain constant. And lastly, I have asked, how can we, as black people, effectively resist this deeply ensconced racism and supremacy, push back against it, and even eradicate it? Those have really been the three questions that have guided my entire adult life. How did it happen? How did it spread? And how can we fight it and destroy it? And King has always been one of the central figures I have turned to for guidance. Our dear brother Martin Luther King Jr., who, for those of you who didn't know, was a member of Alpha Phi Alpha, was born on January 15, 1929, in the midst of racial unrest even then. And I've always felt tied to him. We were both born in Atlanta, Georgia. We're both graduates of Morehouse College. Morehouse has kept desk around forever, so I'm sure at some point, Martin Luther King Jr. and I sat in the same desk, brothers of the butt, as it were. <laughs> and if you really study him, you know that Martin Luther King Jr., our dear brother, was a strong, radical black man. People talk about nonviolence, but King said nonviolence is not for cowards. He was a revolutionary figure. But on April 4th, 1968, when a gunman blew King's face off, literally, Martin Luther King Jr., not the radical strong black man died, but Martin Luther King Jr., the good Negro, was born. And mainstream America chose him as black folks' new leader. The interesting thing, the interesting thing about this fellow was that he was not a he at all, but an it. On that fateful day in Memphis, a man died and an image was born. At the instant King died from the impact of an assassin's bullet, a facsimile, an imitation, an it was constructed that has been sold to black people until this day. So the title of this morning's message is certainly provocative, and admittedly, it's a bit misleading. And I don't want to be misunderstood, as Congressman Yarman says, sometimes people don't know when you're joking, they don't understand satire or allegory, so let me make it clear. I love King. As a student at Morehouse, I walked by his statue, which towers in front of King Chapel daily. There he stood, that bold, proud Morehouse man from the class of 1948, with outstretched hand pointing the people towards freedom. Here is the man who Morehouse men still consider the best of us. He's our model, our standard, our torchbearer, our candle in the dark. So no, this man was no oppressor, but the image of him we are sold today most certainly is. I cannot make this point better than Michael Eric Dyson does, and I may not get with you the true Martin Luther King Jr. Dyson says, since his death, we have made three mistakes in treating King's legacy. First, we have sanitized his ideas ignoring his mistrust of white America and supremacy, 
his commitment to black solidarity and advancement in the radical message of his later life. Today, right-wing conservatives can quote King's speeches in order to criticize affirmative action. While school children grow up learning only about the great pacifist, not the hard-nosed critic of economic injustice. Second, we have twisted his identity and lost the chance to connect the man's humanity, including his flaws, to the young people of today, especially our despised black youth. Finally, we have ceded control of his image to a range of factions that include the right, the federal government, and its holiday. And even the King family themselves, sadly, who have attempted to collect a fee for nearly every word the great man gave the world. That's Dyson, not me, but he told the truth. So if you want to send hate mail, send it to him. <laughs> but as Harriet Tubman said, I have reasoned it out in my own mind. The appropriation of King by the religious and political right, inside as well as outside of the race, because some black people do this too, sadly, has resulted in a repackaged effigy which is used to anesthetize the people whenever trouble comes and resistance tactics to the left of increasingly ineffectual protest marches, sit-ins, and emotive but non-substantive prayers of prophet. The passive, peaceful king has been adopted by many who do not have the best interests of black people at heart. These people, again, all of whom are not white, are quick to trot this portrait of King out when black people rightfully mount radical resistance movements that demand respect for their rights, humanity, and lives. At these times, the image pimps disapprovingly admonish the weary masses, remember the dreamer. He would not have approved of this. Martin once said, and I'm quoting Martin now, because all we remember is I have a dream, right? But let's Here's some other Martin quotes this morning. Martin said this, if the surviving lions do not live to tell their story, the hunters will take all the credit. And that's what's happened. Those who once hunted King have over time told his story and their version is an oppressive lie. In this madness, the real King is lost. He's been frozen at the Washington Monument and reduced to a few utopian, out-of-context words taken from the I Have a Dream speech in 1963. Lost is the intellectual king who studied Marx, Niebuhr, Hobbes, Plato, Aristotle, Hegel, Thoreau, Nietzsche, and Gandhi and could engage their theories cogently and clearly. Lost is the rational, critical king who saw undirected emotionalism in the church as counterproductive. Lost is the warrior king who got angry and screamed that he was tired of marching and fighting for rights which should already have been his. Lost is the political king who proclaimed that America had become the world's most intrusive imperialist power and saw other black religious and civil rights leaders who he considered friends turn on him and abandon him because of it. Lost is the revolutionary king who the U.S. government considered the most dangerous black man in America. And I am quoting them. The U.S. government said that Martin Luther King Jr. turned the other cheek Martin, right, was the most dangerous black man in America before Malcolm presented a more radical variation on the same thing. Lost is the king, the lover of the people who died working for the rights of sanitation workers, not building a new wing onto his church. What we are left with is a false image of King which cripples and confuses us. To compound this dilemma, 
As we move deeper into the 21st century, many of our political and civil rights leaders continue to be little more than exploitive black preachers painted onto different canvases. While ministers like King have a long legacy of participating in the black freedom struggle beyond the walls of the church, many of the current crop are akin to traveling showmen who get paid well for their performances. Most of their appearances usually amount to little more than taking the sermonical tone and tactics used in the pulpit to secular venues. In the final analysis, most of these people deliver no serious challenge to the hegemonic structures which continue to oppress black people. It is difficult to deny that we are left with charlatans now, and you can insert whichever name you want locally or nationally, who continuously travel to different sites of trouble, give stirring speeches and sermons, and may even lead a march or two. But incredibly, in the midst of the crises which summon them, they always seem to have time to take healthy financial offerings from the masses who come out to be encouraged. Ultimately, these men offer little, if any, viable instruction or support for the organizing of, of sustained oppositional struggles by the people. This is what we're left with in the wake of Martin's death, a man who took only a dollar a year from his organization, the SCLC, saying this, quote, if you're, if you're really going to be free, you have to overcome the love of wealth and the fear of death. At some point, we need to get away from talking about King only in the context of those four words from one day, from one speech in the great man's life. But if you like quotes, let's close with a few from Martin and other black folk that we know too little about. To you politics of respectability elite Negroes and callous whites who want to blame black folk for their own suffering, Remember, I'm from the housing projects of Atlanta. I know what suffering is. And to you folk who want to talk this, pull yourself up by your own bootstrap, bootstrap dribble. That folk still saying this. This is King who said this, not me. King said, now there's another myth that still gets around. It's a kind of over-reliance on bootstrap philosophy. There are those who still feel that if the Negro is to rise out of poverty, if the Negro is to rise out of the slum conditions, if he is to rise out of discrimination and segregation, he must do it all by himself. And so they say the Negro must lift himself by his own bootstraps. They never stop to realize that no other ethnic group has been a slave on American soil. The people who say this never stop to realize that the nation made a black man's color a stigma. But beyond this, they never stop to realize the debt that they owe a people who were kept in slavery for 244 years. It's all right to tell a man to lift himself by his own bootstraps, but it is a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself up by them. To, the, to, the, to those of you who are well-behaved, don't want to cause no trouble, I call you cowards, who keep your mouth shut who keep your mouth shut when you should stand up and speak up when you know wrong is flourishing. Martin said this, where your people are concerned, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. That's King, not me. And our dear sister Audre Lorde said, your silence will not protect you. When they come, they're coming for us all, whether you brave or you scared. For those of you who never endeavored to learn your history, 
but instead you have false narratives force-fed to you and your children, and you allow it because you know more about Kanye West than you do Cornell West. <laughs> Carter G. Woodson said this. He said, you're miseducated. And Carter G. said this in 1933, but he could have said it yesterday. If you can control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his actions. When you determine what a man shall think, you do not have to concern yourself about what he will do. If you make a man feel that he is inferior, you do not have to compel him to accept an inferior status, for he will seek it himself. If you make a man think that he is justly an outcast, you do not have to order him to the back door. He will go without being told. And if there is no back door, his very nature will demand one. He will make it. To you who are measured and pragmatic, who folks still saying, I want to choose a safe candidate because the more radical one can't win. And we got to beat Trump. I'm amazed that anybody can't beat Trump at this time. My neighbor's dog should be able to beat Trump. But that tells you something about America. But to you pragmatic people, on the issue of freedom and equality, mighty Malcolm X said this. When a person places the proper value on freedom, there's nothing under the sun that he will not do to acquire that freedom. Whenever you hear a man saying he wants freedom, but in the next breath, he going to tell you what he won't do to get it or what he doesn't believe in doing in order to get it, he don't really believe in freedom. I understand why so many people are disconnected from struggle, willfully ignorant, and love the fake image of King. Pedal today, it's easy. The reality of black struggle and what it takes to get and remain free is hard. As James Baldwin said, to be a Negro in this country and to be even relatively conscious is to be in a, a rage almost all the time. And then cool ass Langston Hughes <laughs> wrote this. He wrote a quick one on them and they missed it. Langston said, Negroes, sweet and docile, meek, humble and kind, beware the day that they change their mind. Woo! Indeed, American oppression is enough to drive a person mad. White justification of it compounds the insanity, and all of it does not come from the right. In a letter from a Birmingham jail, King said this, and he was talking to our brothers and sisters that we know today as white liberals who think they understand black suffering better than black people do and have all the answers to rectifying it. They want to say I'm an ally, but I'm going to tell you what to do. No, you're not. King said this, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's greatest stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate. I talk to John Yarmouth about this with the Democrats all the time. I hate the Democrats because they soft. Their most loyal constituency since 1960 is black people, and they don't want to mention our names when the heat gets hot. They want to visit us at 2 o'clock in the morning like a shameful mistress for our votes. But when it comes time to talk about our struggles, they don't want to talk about us specifically. And that needs to change. Otherwise, we can't keep giving them something for nothing. 
And Republicans in the room, if you think that that means I like you, you're wrong, I dislike you more. <laughs> Back to King as I wrap this up. He said, it is the white moderate who is the most trouble, who is, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but, you cannot agree, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically, for those of you who don't know what that big word means, people who act like they're your parent, <laughs> white matter, moderates who paternalistically believe he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. Where am I, baby? All right, let me wrap it up. I'm gonna skip some of this and go to King's last quote on leaders. This is King on leadership, not me. King, another thing we must do in speeding up the coming of the new age is to develop intelligent, courageous, and dedicated leadership. This is one of the pressing needs of the hour. In this period of transition and growing social change, there is a dire need for leaders who are calm and yet positive, leaders who avoid the extremes of hot-headedness and Uncle Tomism. King said that. Avoid the extremes of hot-headedness and Uncle Tomism. The Republicans just came out in the state of Kentucky and elected a black man first time in a statewide election and then wanted to brag about them being the party of diversity. You're not the party of diversity if you elect a black man who forgot that he was black years ago. The urgency of the hour calls for leaders of wise judgment and sound integrity. Leaders not in love with money, but in love with justice. Leaders not in love with publicity, but in love with humanity. Leaders who can subject their particular egos to the greatness of the cause. God give us leaders, King said. A time like this demands strong minds, great hearts, true faith, and ready hands. Leaders whom the lust of office does not kill. Leaders whom the spoils of life cannot buy. Leaders who possess opinions and a will. Leaders who have honor. Leaders who will not lie. Leaders who can stand before a demagogue and damn his treacherous flatteries without winking. Tall leaders, sun-crowned, who live above the fog in public duty and in private thinking. That's King, not me. Last night, I rewatched King in the Wilderness. If you haven't watched it, I encourage you to. It, it, more than anything I've seen, it shows the personal suffering, loneliness, and angst of the man. As even many in black America turned against him. We celebrate King today because he's dead. And so many of our black icons, they die. We name streets after them so we can drive over them. Have symbolic services where most of us won't live the way that they live. Or have a couple of hours of service projects to make us feel good, like folk who go out and party all night on Saturday, then go to church on Sunday and pray for atonement. Remember this, when King was killed in 1968, a Harris poll showed that only over 55% of black people disapproved of him. Think about that. Over 55% of black people who now say they love him so much disapproved of him. And if that many black people hated King, you can only imagine what white folk felt about it. The real King. I'm skip my favorite poem. I was going to do this. I'll give you this last line. Claude McKay said, my favorite poem 
if we must die, last line, he said this. He said, like men will face the murderous pack, pressed against the wall, dying, but fighting back. That's a hell of a thing, dying, but fighting back. I put that on the door of my dorm room at the Naval Academy, dying, but fighting back. And that's why the folk at the Naval Academy said, so you getting your ass out of here, go to Morehouse. <laughs> but that's the king I remember. A strong, proud, defiant man, a Morehouse man, a black man, an alpha man. Oh, 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 six. That's the last time y'all ever hear that from me, for King. <laughs> he was a black man who for years had his back pressed against the wall. He was dying, but to the end, that brother was fighting back. Strong brother, I implore you to be strong. And yes, close with these words and Greeks know them well. Be strong, for we are not here to play, dream, or drift. We have much work to do and heavy loads to lift. Shun not the struggle. Face it, for it is God's gift. We, Greeks, we know those words, right? Time for us to start living by them. God bless Martin Luther King.